0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest edition of Pro Wrestling Defined. I'm Jonathan O'Dwyer, and uh, Happy New Year to to everybody. And we're starting off 2021 with a bang. What an amazing guest I have on the show today. It's an absolute honor to have him on. Uh, Former uh, NWA, WCW legend, U.S. champion, television champion, six-man tag team champion, uh, founder of uh, Call Off for Christ Ministries, the host of the podcast, It's Time to Man Up, the one and only... Nikita, call off the Russian nightmare. How are you doing today, sir?
1: Jonathan, happy new year to you, all of your listeners. Uh, Really, I guess around the world, right? Ireland and, and, and everywhere else that picks up your podcast, all your viewers and listeners. It's just an honor to be with you. Thank you for having me on today.
0: It's an honor to have you on. It's, it's, it's uh, absolutely amazing. Thanks so much for coming on. And uh, so on the, the subject of uh, your podcast, how have you been finding that, uh, that whole process now?
1: You know, it's been an interesting journey. Um, not something that I was originally looking at. I mean, it wasn't necessarily on my radar, but the owner of Truth Radio Network, they're based in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, Stu Epperson. He reached out to me randomly. I'd met him a couple times, didn't know him well. And he said, hey, we need to talk. And I'm like, all right. So he drives down to my house and he spends about three hours at my house. This is uh, uh, about six, six, eight months ago. He just says, hey, you need a weekly radio show. And and then we'll we'll load it up onto the podcast platform. And so we just kind of, we prayed into that and, and gave it a lot of thought. And, and I'm like, yeah, let's let's do it. And so we launched it in September and it has, it has surpassed any other uh, show or any other podcast that they've ever launched, and wow. so they're incredibly pleased. And, and And I'm just excited not only about about the response to the fall of 2020, but uh, I'm looking forward to 2021 and 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 growing this podcast really around the world, like like yourself. So.
0: Yeah, I've really been enjoying it so far, and you had Sting on the, the, uh, this weekend as well. And uh, I'm looking forward to part two of that. Part one was really, really good. I, I loved your uh, uh, episode with Lex as well. So, all wrestling fans out there, definitely uh, check out Nikita's uh, podcast. It's on yeah. uh, Apple, iTunes, everything.
1: Yeah, it's on all the different ones, and there's some good. Uh, Magnum TA, you know, yeah. Magnum TA will will uh, will will air his uh, as well, and and I'll have a number of other. Number of other, actually a guy by the name of his uh, shoot name is Chad Lail, but he's on the WWE SmackDown roster. Um, he's wrestled there as the one of the Forgotten Sons.
0: Oh, uh, Jackson Riker, yeah.
1: Jackson Riker, and his interview is uh, up on the podcast as well. And so, yeah, and, and it's not just wrestlers that we're having on the podcast. I mean, I have everything from from business leaders, successful business leaders, to to, to men and women in ministry and. And so it's just a variety of of, uh, of interviews that I'm doing, and like I said, just getting just getting great response from from the viewers, listeners.
0: Yeah, it's excellent. And uh, on to the subject of your um, of your wrestling career, you'd such a unique uh, beginning in the business. I mean, you were thrust into the into the spotlight, say, or just into the ring in general, um, just uh, from the uh, from the from the very beginning. Uh, right into the limelight so uh talk about how long it took you to really kind of get comfortable in terms of the um the physical mechanics of working sure. in the ring and 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 who were the besides say ivan and don carnotle uh who were the really uh, who were some other really influential people on uh teaching you all that kind of thing
1: sure great question and and, and i think you used the right word thrust <laughs> oh, you might even say thrown into uh you know <laughs> I I really was just kind of thrown into the mix. Um, For those who know some of the story, maybe maybe some don't. Probably some don't. But you know, wrestling as a as a child was not really something I watched. Or as a youth, it was not something I. I mean, I saw it. You know, you surf through the TV channels, and and I'd see. In those days, I grew up in the Midwest, so. Uh, and that's the Midwest of the USA, not the Midwest of Russia, just <laughs> still any, anyone out there wondering. But, um, you know, grew up in the Midwest. And of course, that was the AWA with Vern Gagne. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I saw, you know, li- little bits and pieces here and there, but it still never really drew me in like, oh, I want to do that one day. I want to be a professional wrestler. My heart. My passion, my love was was of course weightlifting and then and football with the dream of, of playing professional football. And and so when that door of opportunity opened up, the the irony is I was recruited into professional wrestling, if you want to say it that way, by Road Warrior Animal. Yeah. And and that was kind of a a turnaround. I had recruited him to play college football out of high school. He went to Irondale High School in New Brighton, Minnesota. And I had re- literally recruited him to be on our college football team. And then years later, he recruits me into pro wrestling, right? So it's kind of turnabout is fair play, I guess. Mm-hmm. But when they shared the storyline with me of, of a nephew for, for Ivan Koloff, uh, I was intrigued by it. I, I made, made it clear to the promoter, Jim Crockett, that I had no like like zero like like no wrestling experience or no bad no amateur background, no professional training. And he apparently you know he was fine with it. And so I showed up uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina the day they said to be there. He took a look at me. Now I'd worked really, really hard in the gym, even though I didn't go to a a professional training school or camp or anything like that. I worked super hard in the gym, and so the day I walked into his office, I was 285 pounds. I was eight percent body fat, 34 inch waist, and so I'm looking back thinking he probably saw like dollar signs, like you know, rolling it through his eyes. If, If if he probably thought if this guy has any talent at all. All that to say, um, we did hours of interviews that day. Uh, he said, be in Dorton Arena in Raleigh, North Carolina, tomorrow night, you're going to wrestle on television, having never been in a ring. And so you mentioned two two important names, Ivan Koloff, Don Kernodal, my, my early mentors, who, who get the majority of the credit because that first night, uh, it... it Fortunately, it was a very short match. It lasted 11 seconds, so Mm -hmm. it was a short match. And then for the next two or three months, we would drive to Towns and get there two, three hours early. These guys would, Ivan and Don, would bump all over the ring. I like to say, teach me the mechanics of wrestling. And then I'd sit in their corner. They were the world tag team champions for the NWA. Ivan, my uncle Ivan just... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> for, for those who say we never hear his voice, we never hear the old voice. Um <laughs> I, Ivan would sit in my corner, and then on the on the drive home every night, we would talk about w- what's I think no longer there, and that is the psychology of wrestling, mm-hmm. mechanics before the match, the psychology of wrestling after the match, and so I did have a crash course, Jonathan, and and you know you asked. How quickly did I adapt? Fortunately, I adapted relatively quick. But those are the two main guys. There were a number of others that we can talk about today, but those are the two main guys that really laid a foundation of, of old school wrestling mentality for me. Definitely. And uh you,
0: you- your, your rise was pretty meteoric within within a year. I mean, you, you'd held the uh, six-man tag team championships, uh, the tag team titles, and then I think within about the first year, was it, when um, you wrestled Flair at uh, Great American Bash in 1985, that's one of my most sentimental, that's actually my first and only exposure to you from when I was a kid because I got the VHS. I would have only been like, about four, maybe, back in, like, ni- 1994, 95, yeah. maybe. And uh, so, like, it's, you know, way, way after the fact. I think you, you were retired by, by that point. But I'd never seen NWA or WCW or anything at that point. So that was my only exposure to you. And you were my NWA guy just from that uh, from uh, from that tape. And I, I just watched that over and over for years. So it's really sentimental. But uh, uh, talk about uh, the magnitude of uh, uh, of uh, working with Flair and what it was like to work with him in terms of um, did he lay out uh, the match much beforehand or was that more uh, on the fly? You know, working with working.
1: yeah, another great question. So, just and a little more backstory. So, yeah, so I uh, it, it was a pretty quick. You know rise to success if you will and you're right i mean it was it was about almost to the day about 13 months from the day i broke in the day i walked into jim crockett's office to the night that i stepped in a ring against the world heavyweight champion rick flair and so it was almost in a sense looking back now surreal maybe even a bit at the time you know um very first ever Great American Bash, the, the the by far the largest crowd that I had ever wrestled in front of, and 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 still to this day one of the the largest crowds, um, and, and so it was it was almost really kind of surreal uh, to step in the ring against him, and he but he's another guy who gets a, a lot of the credit for my success. I like to I like to say, Flair was the consummate professional wrestler; could make a he could make a broomstick look good, right? Because <laughs> he made it look good. Um, and, you know, I didn't have a lot of things in my arsenal. I mean, in my, you know, as far as my wrestling skills, uh, part of it was intentional. In, in other words, it wasn't intended for me to be some kind of high flyer or being doing stuff off top ropes and all that sort of thing. Mine was more what I call the ground game more than a, more than a high flyer. And, and so, you know, I was, I somewhat kept myself limited on the, on the number of things that I did, but say that to say some of the things that he had me do in the ring, uh, certainly he gets a lot of the credit for my ability to do some of those things, uh, to, to really answer your question. Um, about that particular match, in when I mentioned earlier about kind of the psychology of wrestling, kind of having is now a lost art. I guess what I mean by that is back in those days, you know, we had the promoter, we had the booker, we had a finish, but the match itself was really left up to the the individual uh, participants. In other words. Yeah. Did not lay the the whole match. We didn't we didn't lay really any of the match. We just laid out the 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 end result, and then all of the time between opening bell and going into the end end result was all spontaneous. And, and every match was like that. And that that's where, as a wrestler, we had what I would like to call, really creative control in the ring, versus what you basically see now is someone uh, with the a writer right a writer who has the creative control to write a map, put a match together put an interview together hand it to the wrestler and then he goes out and performs it right yeah so there's no real room typically i i i'm told there's no real room for for uh that spontaneity or, or or that improv if you will mm-hmm. to, to, to improvise because if you don't improv imp, if you improvise one one just even slightly uh, apparently you could throw the whole match off or could throw the whole guys off because they just don't they don't understand the like I said the, the old psychology of wrestling
0: yeah, and it shows in terms of like the 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 realism. I mean, there there's still some guys like Roman Reigns, and uh, there's a few guys that that still have kind of that that old school uh, type of style. But in terms of the the realism and everything, it's definitely lost out. I I actually think um, having watched a lot more of this in in the last couple of years, that that period, like mid to late eighties of NWA, kind of epitomizes what I think pro wrestling should be it had that grit and that authentic authenticity and uh, and just the 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 roster the the cast of wrestlers back then was was so phenomenal it was uh, it was an amazing time um, well
1: and 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 you right and and i have had many fans like you know i'm still doing autograph signings uh, sometimes believe it or not you know face to face sometimes uh sometimes uh you know currently vir- virtual um and and the feedback I get from a lot of fans is they call it the golden era of wrestling right I know yeah. even when you reached out to me you know you said you had some of your viewers listeners might not even know what a VHS tape is but <laughs> or or VCR but I know you said you know like you say you watched those matches on that on VHS over and over and over again back back in that era um where you were introduced to me and and even when you watch fan reaction, so it's not just the match itself, even though, like you said, more authenticity, more realism, because that is what we wanted to project. That is what we wanted to uh, to really, if you want to say, for the for the fan really to to, to buy into. And and it that showed even when you watch the old stuff and just watch fan reaction. Because that's yeah. even different back then than it is now, right?
0: Oh, 100%. I think there's a big thing with the, uh, with the fans nowadays where they, they almost, not all obviously, but, but, but a portion almost want to control what's going on I- I- in a sense. You know, they kind of want to be the, uh, the, the center of the attention I- I- in the match rather than reacting to what's actually going on in the ring. And uh, I don't know, I find that kind of, uh, a bit bizarre. Uh, but again, there still is some guys that are still able to um to dictate the the uh the reactions of the fans the the, the way you guys did back in the the eighties and uh nineties so it's it's starting to kind of come back a little bit i think those fundamentals
1: uh, and i and i hope so and I, and I, you know and what i find especially a lot of the younger guys like i did i did a tour across Canada. Uh, a number of years ago, well, I say I think three, maybe three, four years ago, we did a 21 city tour, and we had a number of young guys on, on the on the card every night. And I was very, very humbled by uh, the first few nights. A lot of the young guys would come to me and say, Hey, would you watch my match? And uh, would you mind? And and you know, critique my match, and and they were very sincere. And 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 I explained to them, I go, I can watch it, but you have to understand I have an old school mentality and I'm watching what you're doing out there and it's more of a, a, if you want to say a new school train of thought, so I can offer some suggestions, but I, I honestly don't know how much you'll implement. Well, all that to say, I did watch a lot of the matches. I did offer some critique. They actually received it well and then I'd watch like they go out the next night or two and actually actually do it and come back and go oh my gosh that, that like really worked like the fans really I go uh yeah I go it worked for us back then it you know it can work for you now you know and so that's great to hear that that there is some of that uh, transition or or some of that the old school mentality uh, coming back because it, to me it was so important in order uh, to draw the fan into the match which is was my goal more than just be so focused on on getting everything right that i'm supposed to do in the ring you know for me it was more that inner looking out into the crowd you know and and drawing that fan into the story right yeah. and having that interaction with the fan that was that was some of the funnest that was some of the most fun for me awesome
0: and uh one of your um jumping ahead a, a, a bit but uh one of or probably the, the most uh memorable uh angle of your career is that amazing uh best of seven series with uh magnum ta, <laughs> TA
1: yeah in fact that magazine cover behind your head there uh that that probably was the, the look I had back in that era against Michael T.A. That's right. <laughs> and, and that's probably, Jonathan, probably the most talked about. I mean, certainly people will bring up Flair, like yourself, the American Bash and uh, Starrcade and some of the matches I had against Rick uh, and others, the, the Road Warriors, chain matches against Sting. I mean, you know. The war games, both with Sting Squadron and also, you know, uh, uh, with with the superpowers and the four horsemen. We are kind of getting ahead, but the Magnum series is probably the most mentioned by the fans out there for sure.
0: That was it was incredible, and the the way it was built. Uh, you were going up three ahead, and uh, him uh, making the comeback, and. Uh, and, and even how the groundwork was laid for the whole thing—the press conference uh, or the contract signing—I mean, where uh, he, his mother was there—and uh, 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 could you do the line?
1: <laughs> oh, what? What are you, some kind of mama's boy? What are you? Uh, and, and you know, funny thing about that—I've told this story before—but for your for your viewers, for your listeners, funny thing about that is he didn't smarten his mom up to that. He yeah. he told her wrestling was a work so just like she used to watch him in his high school and his college days she knew no difference she thought (laughs) professional was just as if you want to say just as real as as college wrestling or or high school wrestling and so when you again for those who might go back and watch that clip when you see her reaction like that's that's authentic that's like you know she's Oh my gosh, these men are killing my boy, you know, kind of thing. And so it did really set the tone uh, for what was to come in those seven matches. And they they were absolute
0: magic. I've caught, like, I had to really uh, search through YouTube quite a bit to uh, uh, get the exact episodes of uh, the Mid Atlantic TV. So I couldn't get all seven, but I got, I think, about four or five of them. And it's just absolutely phenomenal. One thing I like to do every so often is, uh, with some of the matches from back then, is just listen to them. You know, like we were talking about, just the the, the fan reactions and um, that any of those matches, um, you can just listen to it, and it's just magic how how much the the, the fans are just mesmerized by by what's going on. But uh, yeah. how was Magnum to, uh, to actually work with? Uh, he was an amazing performer as well.
1: Yeah, it was, I mean, the our, the chemistry. And it's interesting to me, like, I've even seen comments even recently. Uh, apparently, somewhere along the way, uh, some folks were, I guess, given the impression that, you know, we didn't like each other outside of the ring or, or whatever. But we never, we, I mean, we weren't the best of friends, but we were... On a very professional level, we both had a, a sim, similar mindsets. Uh, we we both uh, enjoyed working what I would call a snug style of wrestling. Again, back to portraying the authenticity of of, of the sport, um, and so therefore there was some really great chemistry between the two of us, it, which which is what led to really I think just the intensity of the match. And I've had fans literally say, like, back in those days, they go, "They, their comment was, I don't know about any of those other matches, but, man, that match against Akita and Magnum was real, uh, you know, kind of thing. And, and that was partly our goal. And, you know, we would later, after his accident, we would later become really the best of friends. I mean, we talk, you know, I'd say at least two, three times a month, uh, now, even currently, uh, we stay in touch with each other and we've, we've done a few autographs, things together, you know, both having been U.S. champions and then, of course, the best of seven. We've done some, uh, some cool things together. Um, but I look back. Yeah, I look back on, on those matches and, and uh, I, I mean, I, I probably there's a lot of matches I enjoyed, but I certainly enjoy those as much as any of them. And, and and the way we portrayed as you said you know going up three nil and then and then him making the big comeback but then you know kind of stealing it from him at the, at the end and, and uh, having a uh, pretty pretty long run as the U.S. – almost not quite a year uh, as the US champion
0: yeah it was awesome stuff it really was and from that that kind of led to uh, um... Your babyface turn eventually uh, after he had his accident, and you did the uh, the uh, headshot on the you know, pro wrestling illustrated magazine, and like that was all so well done as well. And it, going into the cage with Dusty it was it was um, it was amazing stuff. Talk about that transition. And uh, what did you actually prefer? Did you prefer um, working as a heel or a babyface?
1: Well, you know, I look back on that. yeah. Uh, surprised I think it surprised a lot of people that, that the, the Russian nightmare could could be so well received as a uh, as a baby face uh, and, and none of us were you know for certain like even Dusty or Jim Crockett or you know we, we weren't certain that it would work well, we, we were hopeful. Um, even as, even when we were talking about it, Because it was
0: risky back then back in the 80s when the cold War and all that was still fresh and so it, it yeah. was a, it was a risky
1: move. it, it, it was it was what well, yeah it was what you might call a roll of the dice and yeah that's why I say we, we were hopeful. Although I say that to say, um, and again, this is just feedback from fans, you know currently, that were were longtime fans that have been longtime loyal fans, but in fans back then that have said to me, now we loved you as a bad guy, or, you know, we, people hated me because we loved you, you know, Um, (laughs) and and, and again, because they'd be in the arenas, you know, cheering me on and, and, and everyone would be booing them. Like you said, sometimes, you know, the fans maybe try to be a part of the show, but um that said, yeah, we were we were all pleasantly surprised at at the fan response, especially that night. But the magazine headshot certainly helped. The one interview Dusty and I did about forming the Superpowers, even though we didn't necessarily see eye to eye on everything, you know, who does, you know, but yeah, there was that com- that common bond, baby, between the. The, the rough and that man and the Mac and Dream Dusty, oh, yeah, the, we got a common bond, baby, deal. <laughs> Everyone likes to uh, imitate Dusty, right? But um, but we really did. We really developed a common bond, him and I. You know, outside of the wrestling ring, I, I just grew to love the guy, and and I feel like created a a a, a life a lifetime a lifelong friend, and and so that was. An interesting transition. The people loved Magnum, so when I come, you know, when I step in his place and come to Dusty's aid, I mean, just, just again, the way it just all unfolded couldn't have couldn't have been any better. I don't think.
0: Yeah, it was really awesome, and the, the video of uh, that night where you uh, come out in the cage match with Dusty that that's on YouTube, and uh, I. For anybody that hasn't seen it, just go back and watch it. It's absolute magic. Uh, the the crowd reactor and everything. It's 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 awesome stuff. But, well, uh,
1: and, and Jonathan, that's where you know you mentioned. Yeah, it, I I like to use sometimes the word electric. I mean, it was just elect I mean, the atmosphere that night. Once they saw that, you know, I, I attack Oli and and I'm coming to his aid. I mean, the place just you know it just exploded. That old expression, the roof came off the building and and it was just electric that night in, in the arena. Probably the closest thing I could compare to that. I think that probably ranks number one in terms of fan reaction for me, personally. Um, there, there are a lot of memories. Probably the thing that comes cl- next closest to that would, would be the very first ever war games that we did. Yeah. Superpowers, the Road Warriors, Paul Ellering, Precious Paul against the Four Horsemen and J.J. Dillon.
0: Yeah, that was incredible. As well, I just talking about uh, your, your your memories of of that actually.
1: Yeah, it, it's I, here again. Nobody really knew what to expect. It was an ingenious, uh, create, creative idea of Dusty. Dusty came up with a lot of those American Band, oh, yeah, the War Games. Uh, You know, him and Jimmy Crockett, it was their idea for me to become, you know, Dusty's partner. Uh, There was just a number of things that Dusty put together that he gets, you know, sometimes doesn't get enough credit for. Mm. Uh, But nobody really knew what to expect that night because it had never been done before, right? Uh, I mean, two cage, two two rings, not only a cage around the ring, but a cage on, you know, on, on top so you know nobody nobody's getting in right nobody and, and and then to alternate back and forth you know between the guys and i don't know how this always worked out but the heels always seemed to win the coin toss i'm not sure how that worked out <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, i guess you know a, a flip of the coin it's that was that, that anyway um, <laughs> but uh and that just led though to the to the uh really to the the what would I say? The uh, the dynamic of the match in drawing the fan into that story uh, of them always having kind of a two and on one a two on one advantage or three on two or, until we got all five in the ring, hmm. and then and then uh, no one knowing what was going to happen. But that that very first one uh it was very memorable uh in, in the building of it and the anticipation and then the actual night it happened and, and again the just i mean you could just feel the electricity in the air and, and how much uh, we felt the fans were loving loving the match
0: yeah it's magic stuff for sure and uh obviously um Ivan Koloff was hugely um instrumental uh in your career and it I, I it's kind of ironic in a sense that like he had such a pivotal role in the the genesis of your career and then later on you end up um having a role in him finding christ so you both have that instrumental uh aspect in each other's lives uh, talk about um working with ivan professionally in the in the wrestling business and your uh Personal relationship then as well.
1: Yeah, so it's just funny the fans will, like when I'm out there, you know, something like, hey, uh, you know, I I loved your cousin or your brother or, you know, let's almost say your uncle or, you know, they kind of get it mixed up. Sometimes people even call me Ivan sometimes. (laughs) Uh, Even to this day, I, I joke with them, or at least back then, Um, I I go, wait but wait, 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 I'm the younger, better looking one. Come on, let's get, (laughs) you know, um, uh, or prior to his passing, he did a lot of, he worked with the Children's Miracle uh, Network and did a lot of autograph signings in Walmarts and they were partnered in that. And and he had this picture of him and I, and I used to get on him. He'd always, and people still bring this picture to me. And he'd always sign over me and, and and then they'd bring it to me and want me to say. And I'm like, wait a minute, now I gotta sign over him, giving the impression that I am the older guy and he is the you know. So I used to tease him, I'm like, Ivan, what's up with that? Can you just not sign like over you? So you know, but anyway, a uh, little 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 fun fact there, but um he was, as I mentioned early on in the interview, he was instrumental, him and Don, in helping me learn the mechanics and the, ba- the basics and the psychology of pro wrestling. So he gets a lot of the credit. And then as partners, you know, driving up and down the road every night, because back in those days, you know, again, it's a different business then than it is now. Um, I mean, put it in perspective, in 1986, I had 454 matches. Wow. You know, if you do the math on that, there's only three yeah. days in a year, right? Lots of double shots. A lot of double shots or, and or a lot of television tapings where you might have two, three, four matches all in one night. Yeah. And so uh, a lot of work, a lot of work, a lot more work than just the glamour that you see on television.
0: Mm.
1: And, and, and with road miles, I mean, back in the early days, we would average Jonathan about 2,000 miles a week in a car, a lot of road miles. And then, and then we go on the superstation, TBS, and then we start to fly. So in addition to all those road miles, now we're getting a lot of air miles in addition to the road miles. And so Ivan was, uh, we, had, we, had, we'd, we'd, we had fun. We had fun. We'd, we'd room together a lot in those old days when we'd have to stay over somewhere. We'd room together. We certainly, him and I and Don and later Crusher Khrushchev would ride together um, to Towns. And uh, and then eventually we can we can talk about this. Uh, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves, I guess, but uh, eventually kind of like me recruiting Animal uh, into in college football and then Animal recruiting me into pro wrestling. Um, Ivan Ivan mentors me in professional wrestling. And then later in life, I had the privilege, the opportunity of, uh, of mentoring him in, in his walk and his, as a, as a follower of, of, of Christ. I had a, a, the privilege of mentoring him in his walk and his journey there and becoming a, eventually an ordained minister. And, uh, yeah, pretty, pretty amazing story. We, we can talk a little bit more about that. I know a little bit later, so.
0: Awesome. And, um, Another guy. Um, similarly, in 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 that respect of uh, how your relationship uh, worked out later on and everything, but uh, you worked uh, a fair bit with uh, Lex Luger uh, back then uh, uh, as well. Talk about working with Lex uh, back in the
1: day. Yeah, in fact, you know that U.S. title, you know, <laughs> who I turned it over to, turned it over to the Total Package, uh, in Greensboro, North Carolina, in a cage, and. and um. Again, because he was a you know big strong guy, so I I feel we we matched up pretty well inside the ring. We weren't necessarily the best of friends outside the ring back then. We just had a, a professional relationship and 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 a certain chemistry to to work uh, work work in the ring. Uh, we we later uh, would would go on to reunited um, outside the wrestling ring years later we we'll, we'll, we'll I'll cover with that some of that a little later but um, inside the ring and and even when I had departed from wrestling came back to wrestling you know my introduction was to present him with a brand new US belt you, you know and, and did that by way of, of you know whacking him upside the head with it and picking him <laughs> yeah. in. Uh, setting up uh, an angle, uh, another angle to work with him, and then ultimately uh, work with Sting um, uh, again, as I had previous uh, earlier uh, in my career. And and those are those are some of the highlights of the latter part uh, part of my career. Working with, with Sting, working with Luger, uh, working with Ricky Steamboat some of those guys, uh, it was, it was fun in the latter part of my, my career to work with some of those guys.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, um, towards, um, Towards the end, uh, you, you you worked uh, a little bit uh, with Vader. I know you you had your la- last match w- with him. Um, talk about uh, a bit about working with him. I know the, the the injury you you sustained in the match with him wasn't actually what uh, what uh, ended your career, but uh, he he's somebody I I find fascinating. So uh, how, how was he like to work with? Otherwise, other than you know what what happened in that last match.
1: Yeah, I, I mean he <laughs> was. Uh... Leon didn't know his own strength. You know, he's like one of those guys. You don't know. I mean, the big dude. I mean, he was a legit 450, 500 pounds guy. I mean, he was a big, just a big man. And and you know, he had his reputation had somewhat preceded him in that uh by that meaning um you know, he he had seemed or was said to be a bit reckless uh, sometimes in the ring. Uh, And so really, on that note, I I felt like I needed to kind of protect or guard myself from any kind of serious injury. Um, And even though wrestling is, you know, it's entertainment, but what, what the viewer, what the listener, what the fan, I think better understands now, even though it's entertainment, I mean, guys really do get hurt. Oh, yeah. As you mentioned, Lex Luger, as he says sometimes, it's not an exact science. And so you got a 300-pound, 400-pound guy, 500-pound guy in the ring. I mean, timing only has to be off, especially with some of the crazy stuff these guys do nowadays. Mm. Although a lot of the guys are not, not nearly as big as those guys back then, right? A lot of these guys are, you know, maybe 200 pounds, 180 pounds, you know smaller guys but nevertheless still doing some very dangerous moves uh in and outside that ring and so you do have to be conscious uh, of of the potential of of being injured on on any given way, right it's like when Sting got injured um in his uh match up there in wwe you know he uh um Takes full responsibility for. He goes, so, you know, it was that was all on me. Um, I just didn't protect myself in the ring, and so whether it was Van Vader or 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 some other guys uh, that, um, you know, we knew they had a history. Like I knew anyway. It was well, I say it was somewhat well known that some guys had a history of of, of drug use, uh, of drug abuse, um, and even come into the ring under the influence. And so you just had to be conscious to know uh, who you're working with and, and and create, if you want to say, some boundaries or some limits to what was going to happen in there. And again, that's where you had more creative control to say, "Nah, you know, that power bomb, that just didn't, that does not happen. <laughs> you <know>? um, yeah. <laughs> looks good, just not, it's not going to look good on the Russian nightmare. <laughs> I just valued my health and valued my body, Jonathan, that I I just didn't want to, you know, put it out there and, and risk some sort of serious or permanent injury. And even the last match I had, the, the that last night with Vader, um, I got two injuries that night, right? And they were not career-ending. Um, but I, I injured my neck. I had an, some... Uh, you know, they, they determined after an MRI, et cetera, that I had bone spurring, arthritis, uh, a deteriorating disc at that point. Uh, and, and I'm only 33 at that point, right? 33 years old. Hmm. And, and, and then I got a hernia from picking him up that night. Right. Again, hmm. big guy. I ended up having the hernia surgery. I ended up just rehabilitating my neck, no surgery or anything. And it was at that point uh, that I made a decision, you know, to walk away under my own terms. I just like, uh, I'm done, you know, um, from from active wrestling. I knew I'd always still be engaged because I, you know, I love the fans. I love getting out there, mixing it up at autograph signings and things with the fans. Um, but I knew from active wrestling, I was done. It was time to to hang it up.
0: Yeah, and. Uh... Just going backwards, I'm not the best at uh, keeping things chronological, <laughs> but uh, that's okay. Um, you worked uh, uh, Starcade uh, with Flair as well for, for the title. I actually uh, w- watched that about three times <laughs> recently, and again, it's it's just magic. And it, it, everything seemed to, to, to line up so well because uh, you'd come out of you know the transition into turning baby face on the heels of the thing with Magnum and. You just seem to have, you know, it seemed to be the perfect time to kind of pull the trigger and make you the champion. Um, uh, What? Why do you think that 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 didn't happen uh, at that time? And and talk about your your memories of uh, of that match.
1: Well, yeah. So it's interesting. In fact, I just realized I didn't even really answer your question about which. What did I like better? You know, babyface or heel? You know, good guy or bad guy? Uh, So I'll address that right now. Great American Bash, right? Um, um, the epitome of evil. Yeah. And, and, and in fact, in fact, that was the very first night of six different matches that I would have a fan come over the barricade and actually come after me, mm. um, they attack me. Uh, that's how well well loved uh, uh, Uncle Ivan and I were. Uh, <laughs> to speak there, right? Um, we 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 really we were hated. It was the Cold War era. We were hated back then. Yeah. And, and so to have that experience as a heel against Flair, nineteen eighty-five, Great American Bash. Fast forward to Starrcade, nineteen eighty-six, and now it's flipped. Right now, I'm the I'm the baby fade, I'm the good guy. He's the heel um, in in this particular case. And so to have that experience, I didn't, I can't say I really liked one better than the other. Uh, I would have to say I, I enjoyed them. Uh, I enjoy both of them e- equally. In in other words, I'm glad I got the experience to be both a heel and a babyface, and you know to be a part of that pioneering of closed circuit television. Eventually, what led to become what now is is pay per view. Uh, what was fun to be a part of, and. And some of the storylines, some of the, the and, and to have as many matches against him, I mean, gosh, I, I don't even know how many matches I had against Rick. I had a lot, and some of those matches sometimes would last an entire hour, a draw. You know, we'd have a, an actual they call it draw, right? a sixty minute draw, which um, which for a guy my size only only someone like Flair could really honestly help me pull that off because you get pretty winded, pretty gassed in there, you know, wrestling for sixty minutes. Um, it was pretty tiring, but Flair had a way, as well as some of the other guys, Rick Steamboat, some of the other guys had a way of of really knowing because they knew the psychology, they knew how to how how to really tell that story. Spontaneously in the ring and keep the fan engaged in the match from start to finish. I can think. I tell you a quick story of Philadelphia when we first went into WWF territory, and and the fans weren't used to our brand of wrestling. Right? They they were not used to to uh, our style of wrestling. In, in other words, a sixty minute match. Hmm. So I remember the very first time I went to wrestle Flair in Philadelphia, it was probably, Jonathan, five minutes into the match, and they start chant- chanting, Boring. Wow. Like, Boring, Boring. <laughs> I mean, for real. But we didn't freak out. We're like, oh, my gosh, you know, what are we going to do? We, we didn't do any of that. We just, you know, Flair the consummate professional. You know, I'm just following his lead. Follow my lead, kid. I'm just following his lead. And, man, I, here's what I remember about that. It took about six months. But after six months, because Rick and I worked some long programs together. After about six months, I can remember, I think we wrestled for about 50, 55 minutes. And, and they. I don't think they ever sat down. I mean, we educated them on our brand of wrestling. And and that they they began to love it. They began to love those long matches and and really got into them. And in turn, you know, I ended up loving working in Philadelphia, Baltimore. Baltimore was another really favorite town of, of my. Rick and I. One more quick story. Uh, um, I don't want to take up uh, give you the opportunity to ask more questions, but crack cool. brainstorm of of double booking Rick and I in Richmond, Virginia and Baltimore, Maryland in the same night. The same night. Oh. And so we wrestled before intermission in Virginia for the World Heavyweight title. Those fans were not happy. The World Heavyweight title match before intermission. <laughs> they didn't really know what was up. You know, things, there was no internet. Really, the things were promoted back then like now. And and then we jumped on a plane, man. We flew to Baltimore. We didn't get in the ring in Baltimore. I'll never forget it. We're in the Baltimore Arena. I look up at the clock. And when we step into the ring, it's 12 midnight. Wow. Now it already worked once in Richmond, 30, 30, 35 minutes, whatever it was, 40 minutes in Richmond. Now we fly to Baltimore. I step in the ring at 12 midnight. And to the credit of the Baltimore fan, I remember when the final bell rang, it was 12.55 a.m. Wow. So we wrestled for 55 minutes that night in Baltimore, 35, 40 minutes in Richmond. <clears throat> but the Baltimore fans, I, again, I don't know if they ever sat down. I mean, they were on their feet the whole entire And they had been there since like 6 o'clock that night or something, right? They, I mean... That's why I love the Baltimore fans, man, and the Philly fans. Really, just just the fans. I just I just love 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 the fans. They're they're amazing, like yourself. Appreciate. It.
0: Yeah, that, that that's awesome. And we we appreciate appreciate you and all the 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 magical moments uh, that you brought throughout your career, um, and. Uh, i know i i heard you say before that um the reason you never really even thought of uh making a move to uh w w f back then was your loyalty to jim crockett and the uh the uh, opportunity that he that he gave you um what were your feelings like given that relationship that you had with him uh what were your feelings when the um the sale to to, to turner went down
1: yeah uh in fact uh, uh let me just Let me just talk about, again, part of that reason. Let me first talk about part of the reason, you know, because I get asked a lot, you know, did Vince ever, you know, anyone from his office, did he ever reach out to you? I mean, I met him at a gym in Las Vegas one time randomly. He's working out. I'm working out. Hey, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Great. We're their kind of rival. It was the Monday Night Wars before before the Monday Night Wars, you know. In other words – Um, they, they're at one Coliseum in Las Vegas. We're at a different building in Las Vegas, just like we'd be at the the Philadelphia Civic Center. They'd be at the Philadelphia Spectrum, you know? So we were running a lot of head-to-head shows long before Monday Night Nitro. Mm -hmm. And, and, and going back to their brand of wrestling versus our brand of wrestling, I, I was just never honestly really interested in that brand of wrestling and I felt like it seemed like everyone that went there like Vince would or, or somebody and I'm guessing Vince would change their character right mm-hmm. Mark Callis becomes who? the Undertaker right mm-hmm. uh, Cactus Jack becomes Mankind um, The Sheep Herders Become who? Do you know? The Bushwhackers. The Bushwhackers. Right? And so it just seemed like he's changing everybody's characters. So I, I really wasn't interested in the Russian nightmare becoming, you know, po- Pocahontas. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Whatever, right? You. Whatever. I, I just wasn't interested in changing characters. Now, Barry Darso, who was Crusher Khrushchev, was going there and, and and had asked me at one point, hey, I'm going to go. We're going to do this thing, demolition thing, and and out of honestly, out of respect for for Joe and Mike uh, Animal and Hawk, I just felt it was too much, you know, too much like the Road Warriors, and I didn't want to change character. Mm-hmm. Um, so combine that with Jim Crockett giving me the opportunity with with the NWA. To this day, there is a real sense of loyalty that I have to the NWA and that brand when 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 Billy Corrigan was trying to boot that back up before all all this kind of crazy shutdown happened I, I loved it I thought it was great I'm like kudos to you man yeah bring that bring it back and his idea was kind of bring it back kind of the old school days and in fact when I went down there and did a show for him I mean they didn't hand me no interview script they said hey go out and talk about you know this this new team of yours you know and And Koloff Dynasty, and go talk about it, and and I just you know like the old days, just talk from the heart, right, which gave it more authenticity, right, more realism. And and so I was very always been very grateful to Jim Crockett, the Crockett family, um, for giving me that opportunity. And then when he sold it to Turner, it was interesting because things did change, and by that meaning, it went from a, a if you want to say a mom and pop family business hmm. to corporate america and and so it really just kind of became a chapter in ted turner's portfolio and then they hire guys to run it who are not really wrestling guys ultimately as every fan knows it, it you know there's a lot of reasons you can say why wcw is no longer around there's People point the finger at all kinds of guys, but ultimately, I think it, it started with guys originally running it who knew nothing about wrestling or making decisions that 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 just didn't make any sense. I mean, I can remember the last year of my of my career being on wrestling cards and 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 looking at the wrestling lineup and and. Just matches just thrown together with no story or no reason or no angle or you know my matches against Vader it's not like we really had an angle they just kind of threw us together because he was a big guy and I was still kind of a big guy and and thinking it would draw you know so uh, that that could have uh, that could have really all been a long term real real success but as Turner began to even sell off some of his different assets right he ended up selling it to what, Time Warner and then AOL got involved. And at, at one point, AOL, AOL, Time Warner's going, why do we own a wrestling company? You know, we're not a wrestling company. Why do we Why do we have this thing, you know? Yeah. So I could see really just kind of the decline happening there and, and all, all the ultimate demise of WCW shutting its doors, right? But so it, to summarize that, there was a real – Difference between family-owned, mom-and-pop-run business to being a chapter in a portfolio of corporate America. Yeah, and that was a huge. Yeah, that was big. Definitely. And uh, just uh, one last question
0: before we get into your uh, into your Christian journey. Um, you auditioned uh, for the part of uh, Drago in uh, Rocky Four. I, I think a lot of listeners here. <clears throat> Because I, I worked in the, the I work in the film industry as well as an actor, and uh, so I think a lot of listeners will really enjoy this story of uh, you auditioning for uh, for the role of Drago in Rocky IV.
1: Yeah, it, it you know Stallone calls you know because he was friends with Terry Funk. Terry had been in in a few of his movies. I think Paradise Alley and a few mm-hmm. was in Friends or whatever. And I, I I guess he called up Terry and goes. Hey, I'm doing another Rocky, and I need a Russian character. You got any Russian guys that you know or whatever? So Terry Funk was friends with Don Knodel, so he called up Don and he goes, "Don, what's this deal about this? You know, Russian? You got some shoot Russian over there? You know, in Mid Atlantic, Carolina?" And, and so he tells him the story. Well, long and short of that is, uh, myself, Dolph Lundgren, and Kerry Von Erich are all flown out to California, and they're on the set with Stallone and. Kind of come basically comes down between the three of us, right? Yeah. Well, Carrie didn't even know his line. Carrie comes to me and goes, "Hey, you know what are what are our lines for this deal?" I, I like, dude, like you don't know, like for real, like you're out here and you don't know your lines. I mean, I, 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 I I'm like, well, that just narrowed the odds down from 33 percent or increased the odds to 50 percent, right? Now it's 50. <laughs> Carrie did not know his lines. He's not even gonna. I don't even think get a shot at it. So. <laughs> And and then you uh, know Lundgren, um, you know he he had, he was a kickboxer and you know done some of that, but had never been to the movies. Um, and and so I, I I got the first crack at it. I got the short straw and had to, had to do the first screen test. And I did two by myself. And then Stallone says, "Hey, let's do one together." And I'm like, "Okay, cool." And he's like, "Hey, when when." When you do it, you deliver your lines, and halfway through, turn to stand shoulder to shoulder, and then just turn towards me. Let's do a face to face, you know, kind of a stare down. I'm like, all right, go finish your lines. I'm like, you got it. So I did, and and we're just you know staring face to face. And then the part I'll never never forget is when heels cut or whoever the director, or whatever, and and he's like, how was it? And the director's like. You know, you're in a Hollywood warehouse, right? So lighting is a certain way, as you know, if you know, you've know you been around that industry, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget what the director goes. Well, it was like, quote, unquote, right? It was really good until you turned towards each other, and then we lost you in his shadow. <laughs> and, and for those who don't know, again, picture that magazine cover behind you, Nikita Koloff, 285 pounds, Stallone, like for real, now he looks bigger than life on the movie screen, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But for real, five foot six, about a, about a buck 60, about 160 pounds. So if you can picture in your mind's eye 285, 160, the size difference, I, I knew two things, Jonathan right away when he said that. I thought to myself, when he said we lost you in his shadow, I thought not good for my opportunity for Ivan Drago and not good for his Eagle. <laughs> 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 to be lost yeah. in my shadow. Right. Um, and, and, and you know what I recently, this is crazy. I didn't even know this recently. I just found out a, a fan actually said, Hey, did you ever get paid for this? And and I'm like, what are they talking about? And I went and looked it up and they were right. Like, they go, did you know the manager's name? So I didn't get the role. Obviously, Dolph Lunger got it. Hmm. But interestingly, I did not know this until just within the last few weeks. The ma- Drago's manager's name in the movie was Nikolai Koloff.
0: No way. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs>
1: K-O-L-O-F-F. Yeah. Wow. So I'm like... How about that? They took the liberty not to cast me for the role, basically used my name for the manager. And I'm like, really? I'm like, anyway. So uh, I'm flattered by that, I guess, you know, certainly. And, and maybe just, it, it keeps the Koloff name out there. I had no idea. Took, a fan just told me that just a few weeks ago. That's amazing. That's really, it really, really is, cool. right? They go, "Hey, yeah, did yeah. you compensated for this at all?" I'm like, uh, "No, I, sh- I sure did not. Didn't even, didn't even know." So, anyway, they you know?
0: knew to change the the first name just a little bit so they didn't have to.
1: <laughs> right, right. Because see, my name's trademark, so yeah they would they would have been a lot of legal trouble if they if they had used Nik- you know Nikita Koloff. So yeah, and I'm thinking they maybe took Nikolai from you know right Nikolai Volkov, right? Yeah. Who was up in the WWF at the time? They go like, "Hey, we'll just take Nikolai, and then we'll take Nikita's, you know, Koloff, and we'll just put those two together. And that that'll be Ivan Drago's manager. So that was his manager in the movie.
0: That's really cool. It's really cool. Yeah, but uh, we, um, you, uh, you move on from wrestling in uh, in '92 and in '93, uh, you end up uh, giving your life to Christ. Uh, you. Um, Answered an altar call uh, at a at a church that uh, you were invited to, and uh, just kind of unpack the process, kind of leading up to that. What kind of? Because I know you you've said that it was a feeling of kind of unfulfillment uh, from everything you'd achieved that yeah. kind of led you to that point of 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 giving your life to Christ. So what kind of prompted that um that kind of self evaluation that ended uh, ended up leading you to, to Christ.
1: Yeah, so it's interesting. I look back, Jonathan, at that part of my journey, and there's so many different parallels in life, right? If we really just look, and and this is one of them. And and what I mean by that is, you know, because people say, you know, were you a believer? Were you a Christ follower in your wrestling days or or prior to wrestling? No, I I wasn't. Um, I I didn't really grow up in church, uh, just like I didn't grow up in Russia, folks. Right? You got that by now, right? I didn't. Just about. <laughs> um, right hopefully you got that by now. i, I did grow up in, in in church i mean I attended a few times and stuff but and and I knew the story you know I knew the story of if you want to say the story of salvation you know the life of you know Jesus hit his life and he was crucified and 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 died and and rose again and and i so I knew the story but I never embraced the story um and and so just like i wasn't really looking to get into professional wrestling. I mean, in a million years, I wasn't looking to become an evangelist slash minister and travel all over the world and do that. Uh, I just wasn't, but God has a bigger plan, right? I mean, I can remember at age, about age 12, kind of formulating a plan in my, in my head for my life. Wrestling wasn't a part of that plan. Um, I come to realize that that there's a, a, a bigger purpose for my being here and that as much as I had my own plan, many are the plans in a man's heart, but the Lord orders and directs the steps, right? I didn't know God had a plan for my life. And so leading up to that decision, you know, I leave wrestling, as you mentioned, I'm reflecting on my life and I'm like, well, I've, I've had all this success. In fact. You know, I've written a few books. One of them is Wrestling with Success, um, and that's been a, a very popular one. The the most recent is Nikita: A Tale of the Ring and Redemption. Yeah. That just kind of tells my whole life story. In fact, I just wrote about seven or eight new chapters that we're going to include in in that book, update that book, um, along with some fan stories and everything else. But um, and, and so yeah, um. In my mind, Jonathan, I'm successful, but I'm I'm just still not fulfilled. I'm like, man, something's something's still missing. And and I, I meet this Christian couple through business outside of wrestling and they invite me to their church and and I go and, and on that very first there was just in my heart there was just this drawing to an altar draw, and and knowing now the Holy Spirit was drawing me into that decision to where I go down to that altar and and get on my knees and make that decision 17 October 1993 and if you were to fast forward all these years later never in again a million years would I dream having now traveled to a total so far of 30 different countries mostly ministry related in fact one day I'm looking forward to coming to Ireland and, and by the way, just for the fans, for they know, um, my mom was born on the, on the Irish Scottish border, a, a little town called Hayden outside of, uh, Cumberland, uh, uh, England. Yeah. And, and so there's Irish, Scottish, and English roots in the Russian nightmares DNA. Uh, okay. and so I'm, I'm hopefully one day going to make it over, over, over the pond and over your way and be able to. To share my story and 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 what what the Lord has done in my life over there, but um, thirty countries uh, I have ministered in, about twelve hundred churches now, plus or minus. Wow. Um, run all kinds of of conferences. This shirt I'm wearing, Man Camp. Lex Luger and I, Lex Lex became a Christ follower April 20, 2006. He and I were actually reuni- reunited after eleven years. So when I left wrestling, Lex continued on in his career. Some know his story of of his demise and, and kind of the the pit he fell into. So my story isn't I came out of drugs or alcohol or or any of that. That's actually part of Lex's story. He got yeah, in, yeah he got deep in drug heavy drug addiction and alcohol alcohol abuse and all of that. And and was set free of all that, the Lord reunites us and we co-facilitate a camp together for men now called Men Camp. And we do it twice a year, once in the spring once in the fall, and and um and excited to do that. So yeah, so there's just a variety of things there that I never in a million years would have dreamed, just like I never really dreamed of being a pro wrestler. I never thought I'd ever be an evangelist, traveling the world, and but yet. It's absolutely the most rewarding thing I've ever done. You mentioned uh interviewing Sting on my podcast recently, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are excited to hear part two of that podcast. And we're gonna do more. There's so much to Sting's life that we're gonna do more. But um I I, I can I'm reminded of of uh when he and I teamed up for some ministry work several years ago in Indiana at an event called Acquire the Fire, and there were 43,000 teenagers there. Wow. And we basically shared – we did a dramatization, him and I and the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. Then we shared our stories, and there were over 10,000 youth that responded to what we say is an altar call uh, to make a decision for Jesus. And so it's been – Jonathan, it's been an incredible journey. Really,
0: what would you say to somebody that's that's either walked away uh, from the faith, that's kind of wandered away from their relationship with Christ, or somebody that's just an unbeliever in general? What would you say to them about uh, persuading them of the the truth of uh, Christianity?
1: Yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah, either in that mode of searching, right? Or, yes, maybe they've been. Hurt and or hurt by the church in, in the past, or something, and and, and what I find interesting, because I have a lot of a variety of conversations with people on on, on both sides of it. Those who, you know, are, might consider themselves to be believers, but you know, hurt by the church, or as you said, maybe even kind of walked away from it. And really, for me, um, it's a lifelong journey for me. I mean you know the point of my salvation the day of my salvation was 17 October 1993 and from that point on it has been it's been a journey and it, and it's been you know and I've had my series of like all, any of us all of you know highs and lows and ups and downs and twists and turns and and but that's never discouraged me from continuing on the on that process of developing a relationship with God right i think mm-hmm. The difference for some is, you know, the intellectual side of it is is more of um, on what I would call the religious side of it, where you mentioned the heart, right? See mm-hmm. that story of Jesus made it the the eighteen inch trip from my head down to my heart, and when it settled in my heart, I knew that I knew that I knew. Like nobody's ever going to convince me what happened at the altar that day that convinced me it didn't happen because. Mm-hmm. Know my story and the change that took place in me, and then it's been a, a continual journey of, of developing and growing that relationship with God. Um, it's it's not something overnight. So yeah. what whether somebody's out there searching and and again you can search for all the answers like like you're talking about and and, and you know the case for Christ right or you mm-hmm. know or 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 mere Christianity you know but uh, so there's there's a, a there are a lot of good books out there that can will make a case for Christ and while at the same time it really boils down to the heart it's a heart decision it's a heart decision it's not how much i can intellectually understand about the bible or about the story of jesus or anything else the, the holy spirit i believe has to woo that person not necessarily to an altar but at least to a point in their life journey where like for me something's missing what's missing in my life i'm successful but i'm unfulfilled and i can honestly say that morning that day that i surrendered my life got on my knees and asked jesus into my heart there was just this overwhelming sense of fulfillment that honestly if if i had died at that day i would have died a fulfilled man i know for for lex to go back to him real quick for a second when he made that decision, surrendered his life, um, he said it's like there was like this power washing from the way he could describe it, from the feet all the way up, just like this cleansing and this power washing. And so for those who might be out there seeking or searching, you know, whether it's looking for answers or wondering if if Christianity is the answer, becoming a Christ follower, you know, I I'd encourage you, just open your heart. Don't try to don't try to figure this thing out. I'll figure this this whole thing out in your head. You got to get past the head, get down and open your heart. And and just, you know what? You might even ask the question, God, if you're real, then, then just reveal yourself to me. And he will. He says in his word, he will. For those who are sincere, and you brought up the word earlier today, uh, more than once, authentic. If you're authentic and sincere and, and wanting to really know the truth, when it all boils down to, we're really just talking about truth, right? And the truth of the gospel, the truth of God's word. Then you got to be willing to just open your heart and say, God, if if you're real, then show, reveal yourself to me, show yourself to me. If you were once walking uh, that path and something happened that you got hurt, or or you're 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 like, uh yeah, well, you know that, that just—I tried that. That didn't work out for me. Then I'd have to challenge you. Did you really open your heart and let God in? Because He says in His Word, man, He's He'll stick closer than a brother. That He'll never forsake us. He'll never leave us. Now, people will always let us down, whether it's people in the church, people outside the church, right, Jonathan? People will always let you down. Um Absolutely. But, but. The scripture says, God says, I'll never forsake you. I'll never leave you. Uh, I'll stick closer than, than a friend. I'll be like a brother that sticks closer than a friend. And so uh, after, all that to say, the heart is the key. That's the key. Opening your heart and just allowing God to come in and and, and reveal himself to, to you. And, and let me and let me just throw this out there real quick too. I know we're we're getting short on time here, but and I would encourage folks. You know, uh, um, you know, once you make that decision, if you make that decision, open your heart and 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 invite Jesus in and ask Him to come into your life and or reveal Himself to you. Then from 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 that point on, then you know there are some some basic components. One, re- reading the Bible you know, and I like to tell people, you know, try to read the Bible every day. And, and and again, it's the living word. So even if you're not that familiar with the Bible, you know, ask God, God, again, reveal yourself to me through your, through the word, through the word of God. And he will, the Holy Spirit will heal himself. So I want to encourage you out there too. Maybe you're a, a brand new Christ follower, real young in your faith or, or again, you 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 wandered off the narrow path, but you want to get back on, get your heart right, you know, back right with God. You know, you gotta be in the word. You gotta get the word in you, the word of God in you, and, and he'll reveal himself. You gotta develop a prayer life. And prayer is just like you and I, right, Jonathan, just communicating right now. You gotta, Absolutely. You gotta develop a prayer life. And then I like to say that, that really the a couple other quick components to that is. Uh, A a life of worship, you know, uh, some great worship music out there. So worship and prayer and Bible reading all help you develop that relationship with God. And then lastly, just surround yourself with some other believers, maybe even a mentor. Like I've had the privilege of helping to mentor Sting, helping to mentor Lax, helping to mentor Ivan in their faith journey. Find yourself a solid believer that can can help mentor you, and and maybe even answer some of those questions that you ha- can't find an answer to. So I just want to throw that out there too for your listeners, for your viewers.
0: Definitely, I think that's the the, the perfect note to to end this on. Um, thank you so much for uh, for joining me today, and Nikita. It's been absolutely amazing having you on. It's been an honor and. Uh, Anything, uh, 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 any, uh, things you want to plug now, the, uh, the man camp and, uh, the, the podcast and stuff before, before. You yeah.
1: Yeah. Just, uh, and I, and I appreciate you having me on. Hopefully maybe one day we'll, we'll get to meet face to face and not just through a, a computer screen, but we'll get to meet face to face and, and, uh, I'm, Definitely. I'm for that one day. Um, but yeah, for the men out there, you know, and, and this can be all over America, all really all over the world i've had men. in fact i had men flying from europe for for other camps in the past that I facilitated check out mancamp.info that's just mancamp.info. i n f o you'll find out uh, more about the the camp that lex and i faci- uh, co-facilitate we'll do one this coming april we usually do one of the one in the spring one of the fall next one will be in april you'll see the dates on on the website Check that out. Koloff.org is uh, my my website. If you want to hear, just you know, read a little bit more about my personal testimony, my personal story, and more about the ministry. So maybe there's some pastors out there that might be interested and in have me come into your community do a do a man up conference or or uh, or just preach. I preach, you know. So Koloff.org, and of course, people can follow me on on Facebook and. And Twitter Instagram and Twitter. Nikita Koloff with the number one behind it. That's the real me on Instagram and Twitter. If you want to follow there, Facebook, look for a picture standing in a river. It's actually Ted DiBiase, myself, and another guy named Jason Sanderson. When we made a pilgrimage to Israel, we're actually standing in the Jordan River, baptizing each other in, in yeah. the Jordan River. And so that's me on Facebook. And, uh, Yeah, message me. Oh, one other thing. Yeah, for the podcast. Let me just say this is going to be brand new for 2021. So I'm going to launch a kind of a new segment or a new show called Questions and Answers with Koloff. Now, you and I spent uh, a lot of time today answering a lot of your questions, but there may be some fans out there. Because what I'm going to do is, so I'm going to do this special segment called Questions and Answers. And and so submit, go to koloff.org, submit your questions to me, And there's a possibility I may call you and actually have you on the show for you to ask your question and get your question answered on the show. It's time to man up. So be sure to download, subscribe to the podcast. And and if you're in the States, it airs on Truth Radio Network uh, kind of around the country. So you just have to go on their website and check that out. But Jonathan, it's been awesome. Thank you so much for having me on.
0: Thanks so much for coming on Nikita it's been absolutely amazing and uh, I hope uh, the new year is uh, is awesome for you so uh, take care.
1: Likewise and for you and, and to all the fans out there God bless you have a happy new year and and uh, I'll keep you in my prayers Jonathan thank you so much. Thanks Nikita
0: and just before you go remind people what uh, TGIF really stands for
1: T-G-I-F, it's not thank God it's Friday, it is today God is first. Keep him first in your life each and every day, and remember T-G-I-F, today God is first.